Well, we continue this morning in the story of the church from the book of Acts. We come now to the middle and latter parts of Acts chapter 5, where we see what it means to give all of yourself to Jesus because he has given all of himself to us, ultimate allegiance to Jesus and his gospel. Hear now the word of the Lord. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought out. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and Savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles... They beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease 
teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we have so many people and things, so many groups and institutions, so many experiences and longings vying for our ultimate allegiance, the deep loyalties of our hearts. You warn us, Jesus, in your word, not to have our lives defined by these earthly loyalties and pursuits. When our citizenship is with you in heaven. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us when we foolishly seek to have multiple masters rather than just one. You alone, Lord. May our fealty be to you above all others. May you be our true and always king, Lord Jesus. Now and forever, we pray it all in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we were flying home on the plane yesterday. We spent the week, Fran and I did, in North Carolina caring for my mom. My daughter and her family were on a little vacation, and we had great time with mom there in Raleigh. And then my daughter and her husband and two children came back. We had a couple of days with them. And then our oldest granddaughter, Charlie, will be here in the second service with Fran. She's coming to art camp this week. She's really, really excited. Uh, She's never felt heat quite like this, though. So uh, she experienced that yesterday coming back. But, but, uh, you know, it was just so fun to have her. And it it sort of triggered. We were thinking about memories with her last night when we went to dinner. And Fran was pulling up old videos on her phone from when she was little, little. And my favorite of those videos is of her when she was about four and her younger sister, Gray, is two. And they're doing a little homeschool preschool with my daughter. And they said the Pledge of Allegiance. And here's Charlie over here putting her hand over her heart, saying the pledge. She's being a good sister, so she reaches out her other hand to Gray. Now, Gray's over here, and she's trying to put her hand over her heart, but there's her sister. So she gives the right hand to her sister, so now she's with her left hand, and she kind of puts it up around her neck and is almost choking herself. But there they say the Pledge of Allegiance. It's just beautiful, and they finish with their little voices, and with liberty and justice for all. It's just amazing. You know, grandfathers, we love our grandkids. Um, You know, maybe you think when you hear those words, allegiance, I pledge allegiance, you think of our pledge to the flag, and that's good for American citizens to think of that kind of loyalty. When you think of making vows to someone, those of us who are married may think of that, or those of us who long to be married someday, think of those pledges we're making to our spouse to forsake all others and cling only to them for better, for worse, for richer For poorer in sickness and in health, I'll love you and cherish you as Christ does the church. That's what I say to husbands. That's beautiful. I love that. Maybe you think of the vows that new members take when you think about loyalty or pledging. You think about vows that they take uh, to follow the leadership of the elders, the shepherds of the local church as they are following Jesus themselves. Those loyalties are good, you know, to our country, to our spouse, and to our family, to the leaders of our local church. They're good. We may have more informal loyalties, right, right, to our favorite sports team or to our college, right? Uh, But there's an allegiance. There's a loyalty 
that desperately needs to be underneath all of that, that needs to be more foundational than all those other loyalties, that needs to cut across the more necessary, and that is our allegiance to Jesus. What it means to be a Christian, one whole definition is, is that I pledge allegiance to Him because He has given everything to me. I give my whole self to Jesus to say, I will follow you wherever you go, wherever you take me. Sort of the words that Ruth gave to Naomi, right? Wherever you lodge, I'll lodge. Wherever you go, I'll go. Wherever your people are, those will be my people. Your God will be my God. That's, that's what it means to know and follow Jesus. That's that kind of total loyalty and allegiance to him. That's why David says things like in Psalm 51 when he's you know, committed adultery and he's committed murder to try to cover that up and told countless lies when he says, oh Lord, to thee, against thee and thee only have I sinned. He's saying, because that allegiance is so much more powerful and significant than all the other ones, that ultimately when I sin even grossly against others around me, he sin against you. Because that's the foundational allegiance of life. That's what Jesus is getting at, right? When he says, in order to love me, you need to functionally be able to hate your father and mother, your brother and sister, right? To love me, to follow me. I've come not to sort of bind all of that together. I've come to be a sword that cuts across all of those other kinds of allegiances, Ultimate allegiance is to Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. And that's what we sort of see played out here as the story of the church begins to unfold. What does ultimate allegiance to Jesus look like? What's the shape and the feel of it? Think about a couple of ways this gets played out here in Acts 5 with me first. Our ultimate allegiance to Jesus, first of all, means that we will face conflict as we follow him. Conflict is going to come as we follow him. Let's go back to our story, right? What's, what's sort of happening before this story, right? Miracles. A lot of miracles are happening. It reminds us of those days when Jesus first came upon the earth and, and great miracles came, right? The apostles are doing wondrous miracles. Lame people are rising up and walking. The, just the few verses that are here between the text Bryant preached from last week and our text here talks about all kinds of people bringing the sick and even those possessed by unclean spirits and miracles are happening through the apostles in Jesus' name. Healing and the evil spirits are cast out, right? Wonderful things are happening as they are preaching the gospel of the resurrection of Jesus as the gospel is being anchored and grounded and amplified by these miracles of healing and wonder, right? Something else happens. Opposition. Just as it did for Jesus... So it is here for the apostles. They're under opposition, right? They're teaching, they're preaching, they're healing in his name in the temple courts. And the leaders are coming and saying, take them away and stuff them over in the public prison. Right, it's interesting. In Jesus' day, the opponents write from sort of inside the establishment of the wedding of church and state in ancient Israel, right? 
were 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 really the Pharisees. They they were the party that really most went after Jesus. They were most threatened by Jesus. They were the party who said, you know, the way God's kingdom is going to come is us buying, being zealous for every detail of God's law, including our understanding of the amplifications and additions and multiplications of that law, and our rigor in following this and pressing this upon you is what's going to bring in the life of the kingdom. Well, Jesus pressed against that, right? He, he said, look, the law of God is perfect and beautiful. It revives the soul. I haven't come to do away with one jot or tittle of it, right? But it's all about me. It's to point you to me, to see your need of me, of a Savior, of one who keeps the law in your stead and then frees you and blesses you and welcomes you into the life and love of God so that you can more and more keep God's law not as something you're doing to merit God's favor, but as a path of blessing for you and the world around you. And so the Pharisees hated Jesus because they threatened him. He threatened them by his presence, right? They threatened him, yes, because he was threatening them. He was taking away their place, their authority, their power. But now, here's a different group, right? It's the Sadducees. They're sort of coming from the other end of things. Salvation is going to come not so much, you know, by us following every jot and nuance and amplification of the law of God. It's going to come by us being wise and savvy and political. The Sadducees were famous for sort of knowing how to do business with the Romans. And so they're in power here in every space, including now they hold the high priesthood. And so they're, they're sort of ruling the Senate body, okay, that's there in Jerusalem. And the high priest is one among them. And they don't really believe a whole lot. They don't even believe that there's a resurrection at all, much less the resurrection of Jesus in space and time just months before, right? And so they don't like all this because people are preaching something here about a resurrection, about a life that transcends political savvy on the earth about a kingdom that is not of this earth that turns all the power plays of this kingdom upside down and says it's the meek are going to inherit the earth it's giving your life away in sacrificial service that brings true power and blessing the very power of god flowing through you and so they like the pharisees before them hate all this stop teaching about this the temple is under our authority. Get out. And I like what N.T. Wright says, the Anglican bishop and New Testament scholar. He said, you know, imagine that you're sort of the manager for a major concert venue, you know, sort of like, you know, Royal Albert Hall in London or, you know, Carnegie Hall in New York. And, and you're sort of managing this. And, you know, as, as you're running your big events, you're right, there's, there's this kind of little band of people out there playing this different kind of music that's odd and that you never heard about, you know, out on the steps and they're just sort of this nuisance and you watch this kind of night after night as the big events are coming and people are sort of having to come through that and sift through. And you said, well, they'll pass, they'll, they'll go away, they're going to get out of here. But, but instead of going away, right, they keep coming back when you're holding your big events and more and more people just sort of stop on their way to come into our event and stay out there and just, you know, rejoice in this music. 
and celebrate this. He said, there would come a time where you would say, enough is enough. Get these people off the steps of my building. That's what the Sadducees are feeling here. Enough is enough. And inside the structures, right, of the old visible church, oppression, conflict comes. As the apostles and those around them, the thousands now, are celebrating life in Jesus through the gospel. Guess what? It's going to come on you now. It's going to come on me now. To pledge allegiance to Jesus means that there will be conflict for you in Jesus' name. It's going to come from the world, right? Jesus says from the world, look, they hated me. First, they're going to hate you. We've got to normalize that. But it's also going to come at times from inside the structures of the visible church community. When you are all out for Jesus, when you are pledging your life over to Him, when you are giving your whole self to Him in the way you live, in the way you speak, in what you do or what you don't do, in the way that you pray, in the choices you make, in the ways you're willing to let that allegiance cut across all other kinds of allegiances, it's going to not only create conflict out in the world, it's going to create conflict internally, internally in the church. Why? Well, because if you're authentically living at that level, and I'm not, I'm going to be convicted of that. And I'm not going to be too happy with that. I want my comfortable religion not your all-out allegiance to Jesus, and it cuts across me, and it breaks me. I'll never forget uh, a good friend now who is a good friend to this day. Pastor has led this massive movement of the gospel in Nashville, Tennessee, and, and been a part of not only building a church there, but leading multiple ministries there in the city. Uh, a friend named Jeff Schulte. Jeff was from Ohio. Um, he was uh, had no church background whatsoever, and he is radically converted. He plays baseball and football together with me in college at Yale, and he is radically converted to Jesus, and this allegiance is just bubbling up in the way that he lives, and he thinks, and he talks, and he speaks. And instead of befriending Jeff, you know me, the Christian coming in, the good Southern Baptist boy from Florida, you know, I, I couldn't stand Jeff. Because he was cutting across. He was talking about praying and fasting. I said, Jeff, what are you talking about? I don't fast. I'm Baptist. What are you talking about? We don't do that. That's like, you know, Bible stuff. Just cutting across me with this allegiance, and it was breaking me. And I couldn't stand him. Have you ever done that to people? Because of this reality of their faith, the depth, or have you ever had it done to you? You will. You need to be able to normalize that. Just a couple of applications before we move on. You've got to normalize that kind of conflict externally and internally. It's what's going to happen. You know, a friend of mine who's now gone to be with the Lord, his favorite story to tell about me, Ted Strawbridge. We worked together in pastoring and church planning. He worked with me in Mission in North America. Ted used to love to tell the story. If he was here, he'd tell it. I guarantee you, one Sunday, you know, he'll tell it to you in heaven. It's about Paul, you know, and I were playing golf one day, and Paul actually hit a ball in the fairway 
from the tee and then hit his shot onto the green and it yet catapults off the green because Paul doesn't hit, you know, an eight iron that's nice and soft. He hits this line drive like he's hitting a baseball to center field and it bounces off the green. And I stood there in the middle of the fairway just screaming, why me? Why does this happen to me? As the ball bounced off the back of the green and rolled into the lake behind the green. Well, if you hit a line drive onto a green in August on a hard Florida golf course, it's going to roll off the green and into the pond. If we're living for Jesus and we're all out for him as he is all out for us, don't say, why me? Don't say, don't say Lord, where are you? Why is this happening to me? Normalize that. It's going to happen. And secondly, no, it's a mark not of God's disfavor, but of his favor and love upon you. Those that he loves share in his sufferings together with him. It's how he perfects us. It's how we have a particular closeness with Jesus and the life of his kingdom. It's how uniquely the gospel is alive and present and visible for, for others to see as there are big cracks in the flow of our lives and the gospel shines out through that broken pottery of who we are. Ultimate allegiance to Jesus is going to mean conflict for us as we live in his name. Secondly, ultimate allegiance to Jesus flows from his life to ours. Our allegiance to Jesus does not start with us saying, I'm all in, Jesus. I'm yours. Everything I have is yours, right? That never works well, right? Because we're constantly failing in that way. Allegiance to Jesus, right, flows from his life to ours. It starts and always circles back to him saying, I've given everything for you. From the Father saying to us, this is how much I love you. So much I've given my one and only Son for you to come. And who's died on the tree for you. And in effect, you even had a part in putting him to death. But I gave him for you. So that you would be my beloved children. My own. It's Jesus saying to us, I've given everything to you. You can trust me. You, you hear what the angel said to them as he delivers them out of the prison, as they're sort of stuffed back in that prison cell, right? What's he say to them? Go out. Go back into those temple courts and preach the life. You know, in Acts, we're going to hear them called the people of the way. Christians, we're going to hear them called Christians. We're going to hear them called the church. But here they're called the people who have life to share. People who knew that they were counted a blessing, that it was a blessing for them to be persecuted in Jesus' name because it showed them that they really had this life that is truly life. You know, this is interesting, right? Because it, when, we, when we center here, when we realize that allegiance to Jesus flows because he has first given his life to us, it means we can be patient with each other. And even patient with ourselves 
as that life is getting worked out in us, as it's more and more growing in us, as more and more we're dying to the old ways of death and life is growing and sprouting up and and building in us. We don't have to demonize each other when we don't see all the things eye to eye on secondary or third level or nth level issues. We can celebrate the life and hope we have in Jesus together and encourage that life. Spur that life on. It's interesting what the high priest said, right? Just sort of pointing his finger at them and saying, you're trying to put his blood on our heads. (laughs) And Luke is making a point there, right? Sort of saying, yeah, that's exactly what we're trying to do but not the way you think. We're not trying to accuse you of this death because his death is all of our faults. Yes, it's your fault, but it's our fault too. It's all of humanity's fault. But we do want to put that blood on your heads and the heads of the people because this is where life is. I just want to say to you, do you sort of think about your walk with Jesus as life. Why do we urge you to come to worship? Not to get more money out of you, not to sort of prop up our institution, because this is where life is celebrated and experienced and known. Why do we encourage you to pray and read your Bibles personally and with your families? Not to lay a burden on you, but because that's where life is experienced. Why pray? Because it's a space to know and celebrate the life that is truly life that sets you up and allows you to realize that in every space of your life, it's space to celebrate and share Christ's life. You know, we were getting off the plane yesterday and she was a couple of rows ahead of me and I I still wanted to chase her down, but I had my six-year-old granddaughter and all of her massive belongings that I was lugging out. And I just couldn't get to this woman, but I did see her t-shirt before she got off. She has this beautiful older woman who had this t-shirt on it. And she said, I want to be so full of the life of Jesus that when a mosquito bites me, it's going to sing. There's power in the blood. (laughs) It's an amazing t-shirt. Where did you get that? I wanted to ask her. And, and tell me about your life in Jesus. Maybe we're not going to be that bold. But how can we just radiate and share this life? That's what the apostles do. That's what, and, and see, that's why gospel sharing is not a thing for professional pastors to do or just special elder or deacon leaders to do, or people who feel called to go on a mission team to do. It's for all of us to do everywhere and every place to share this life. Allegiance to Jesus means conflict. It it means that life will flow from his life. And lastly, it means as we are loyal to him, there will be surprises. There will be surprising 
deliverances. What just in this story, right? You know, you got two massive surprises. One's big that you can see, and one's more subtle, right? The big surprise, right, that everybody can see is they're in prison, and the angel of the Lord comes in the middle of the night and sets them free. And in this case, no one else even knows that the doors have been opened and they've gotten out. You know, in the next morning that that everybody's still got the doors locked, the guards are in place, and yet they're not there. There are all kinds of these kind of prison escapes, right, that you see in Acts. And they're beautiful stories, right? Different ways. But, but here's the surprise. God miraculously opens prison doors and lets his people out. But the more subtle one that's easier to miss in the text is that when the, 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 the council, right, brings them back again and, and the high priest is ramming down on them, right? Just launching into them. And, and after the apostles have shared, what does the text say? And they were filled with rage and wanted to kill them. What delivers them? Gamaliel does. A Pharisee, one who's out of power. If the Sadducees are kind of classic liberals, Gamaliel's kind of your classic moderate. And he comes in and he says, you know, hey, let's think about this. And you know, let's think about these other examples. And if leaders of past movements died, and, and, and what did we learn there? All their followers scattered. Well, if this Jesus movement, when Jesus really is dead, then this is going to fade too and all scatter too. Let's just watch and wait and let's spare these people's lives. But if this is of God then we won't be able to stop it. This is just amazing. It's almost like, you know, a little version of God speaking through Balaam's donkey, right, to him, right? You know, this is just, deliverance is coming out of nowhere. And yet God brings the surprise. When we live in ultimate allegiance to Jesus, he's going to surprise you with the ways he delivers you. All the time. He's going to answer prayers in ways that shock you. He's going to break through in the 11th hour moments in ways that stun you. He's going to open doors that seem completely closed. He's going to surprise you with His presence and deliverance. Sometimes He's going to surprise you by not doing what you want. There are other stories here in Acts, right, of Paul rotting in prisons for long periods of time only to be delivered over to a horrible ship voyage that's going to lead to further imprisonment for him after he has a shipwreck, right? But God is there. John's going to be imprisoned and die there for his faith. James is going to be put to death with a sword for his faith. And yet there's a deliverance that comes even there on the backside of even the valley of the shadow of death that, that we're forced to pass all the way through. He will surprise us, but He will be there. He will give us life that is truly life. That's what happens in this meal. We realize that even in the face of death, there is life, and life abundantly. That means that now we need to
ready ourselves to die well by dying daily with Jesus. By saying, Lord, give me this life that's truly life. Help me to be ready to face the conflicts. Help me to be open to the surprising ways you want to move and work in my life to show your life to the world. Lord, help me to die to my control, my efforts to be in power and control. And Lord, may you move and bless and bring your life through my life. I pledge allegiance to you, Jesus, and to your kingdom that will have no end. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this word. We praise you for it. We pray that we would, Lord, more and more be people more fully yours. Lord, we want to afresh pledge our allegiance to you, Jesus, this morning because you have given everything to us. I love how Brian often reminds us that this is a covenant renewal moment when we worship. And Lord, we want to renew the covenant with you today. We want you, O Lord Jesus, to be our everything, our soul master. We want your life to kickstart that and renew that allegiance in us. We want to be ready for conflict. We want to be open to the surprising ways that you will move in and through us, Lord the twist and the turns of it all. May we not bemoan that, <laughs> but delight in making that journey with you in that. As these first apostles, Lord, were, may we be honored that we are counted worthy to suffer for the sake of your name. And Lord, for any who have not yet started that journey, would you, Holy Spirit, move in their lives today? May that we experience like in the book of Acts today that, that many would come and believe and start their journey with you. We pray it all, Jesus, in your name. Amen.